Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind-the-scenes, intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Knife. Today we have a unique episode featuring the team of the Do No Harm film. As a disclaimer, the film and the content of this episode uh, do address physician and resident suicide. We are very excited to have with us uh, Ms. Robin Simon. She's a two-time Emmy award-winning writer, director, and producer who used a Kickstarter campaign to create this very important film. And we also have with us Dr. Pamela Weibel, a family physician in Oregon who is currently a practicing physician, but has devoted much of her time to physician suicide prevention. Thank you both for joining us today. You're welcome. Good to be here. So we always like to start our episodes with learning a little more about our guests. So can each of you tell us a little bit more about your background and what kind of uh, drove your career to this path now where you've created this film? Well, this is Robin Simon. I was a TV news reporter uh, and a producer at TBS based in Miami. And after that, I was an independent producer um, and I produced a series for the Travel Channel, other networks, and then moved on to focus on feature documentary films. And so I've done several of those and, you know, they've shown at film festivals and theaters around the world. And I come from a family of physicians. My grandfather was a physician. My uncle was a colorectal surgeon in New Jersey. My cousin is a doctor. Um, I have another cousin who's a physician assistant. So, um, you know, when I first heard about physician suicide, I was quite shocked. Somebody had sent me uh, an article, an op-ed piece. And I just, because in my family, we never talked about that. Um, there was never any discussion about depression or uh, disillusionment, anxiety, nothing like that. So it was a shock to me. So this was a topic that was very close to my heart. And this is Pamela Weibel, and I also, like Robin Simon, come from a family of physicians. Both of my parents are physicians, so I grew up going to the hospital to work with them and just pretty much falling in love with the path of being a healer and being there for people at their most vulnerable moments in their lives and feeling like I could make you know, decisions based on science and emotion and just the human drama and their social situation and really help people overcome despair and disease. And so it was... Um, it was, I feel like, meant to be for me to be a healer. Uh, I didn't do it because of family pressure. In fact, my parents tried to talk me out of being a physician. <laughs> and uh, I, I pursued it despite their, their warnings. Um, I was shocked entering medical school to realize how barbaric the training was with the bullying and the sexism. And the, this was back in 1990 when I started. And I just, it, it did not conform to what I felt medical education should be. It just seemed a little bit like militaristic, brutal, um, this whole reductionist medical philosophy that disconnects us from our heart and soul and professional distance. And it just felt very um, sterilized of humanity, you know, and so uh, I almost dropped out in my first year of medical school. My anatomy partner actually convinced me to stay. Interestingly, 
once I became a physician is when I really got depressed and suicidal myself after six jobs and 10 years, feeling like I was pretty much forced to be a factory worker on an assembly line. Um, it was that anatomy partner that actually convinced me to stay in medicine and not to drop out. He later died by suicide. I lost both men that I dated in medical school to suicide. Like I said, I was suicidal. And after losing three men in my town to suicide, all physicians within a year and a half, I just became obsessed with this topic in 2012. And I've been keeping a registry ever since. So I've gone from, you know, 10 names in October 2012 to 547, five years later, six years later, I'm close to 1,100 names on this list. And so this is an epidemic that is sadly being underreported. So I really thank you all for doing an episode on this. So can you give us a brief introduction to the Do No Harm film? Well, Do No Harm pulls back the curtain of a medical culture that not too many people on the outside know about a toxic culture that puts physicians and their patients at risk. And it's a problem that's been going on for more than a hundred years. Uh, suicide has been known about in medicine for more than a hundred years, yet it's often swept under the rug because of the stigma, because doctors are supposed to be tougher than that, show no weakness. And um, so the film looks at what is it about this culture that creates this kind of toxicity, depression, burnout, disillusionment, and um, what, what we can do about it, what needs to be done to change the culture. And we also connect the relationship between this toxic culture and, the, and patient safety because that's an important element of it that people don't realize that if you have physicians who are unwell, who are hiding, you know, depression and self-medicating, then you can't have good quality care. So when we link the, when we link physician wellness and patient care, this is a topic that involves everybody. And many people don't realize that, for example, sleep deprivation, doctors, especially young doctors, are sleep deprived. They work 20-hour shifts, more than 100 hours a week, when there have been many, many studies that have shown that after 16 hours, you're just not functioning at, at your full strength. So what is the impact of that? Well, when we look at medical errors, uh, there was a recent report that medical errors are the third leading cause of death after heart disease and cancer, but it's it's not talked about. So it's really a topic that impacts everyone. So again, it's the risks to physicians and the risks to patients. So one of the things that we like to do here is talk in addition to this, let, let's jump into the what we call our dissection of the day, which is where we go in depth for that. So what was the process of making this film? You created the Kickstarter campaign. How much involved in terms of support did you have to get? Did you have to go to industry? Give us a little bit of behind the scenes look at how you tackled this entire process, understanding now the background of where this all uh, sprung from to begin with. Well, this is Robin. Uh, someone had sent me an article. It was an op-ed piece in the New York Times about two young doctors 
in 2014 who jumped to their death. And I just I couldn't understand why knowing, you know, how difficult it is to survive medical school, why this would be almost like a logical conclusion that they would come to. Uh, and it just, you know, it just, it was a surprise. It was just shocking to me. And so I did research. And when you Google physician suicide, the name that comes up most often is Pamela Weibel. And uh, she really has been the most vocal in terms of wanting to expose this epidemic. And so I reached out to her now, it's been, you know, for almost five years. And she was instrumental in connecting me to people who would speak, young doctors, parents of physicians who took their lives, because there's a lot of secrecy. You know, young doctors have a lot at stake. You know, if they talk about this openly, there can be consequences. And parents also have a lot of shame. You know, this is you know, my son, my daughter, the doctor, and uh, if they take their lives, you know, the families are in denial, and they definitely don't want to talk about it. So it, it, she was instrumental in connecting me to um, subjects that were willing to talk, that were courageous enough to say, you know, it's more important to save lives in the future than it is to deal with this. Um, privately, and I respect people who want to deal with this privately, but as a filmmaker, it was important for us to have not only talking heads, you know, industry people, but also to have real emotional stories, and so they take us on a journey of that. We did, uh, I naively tried to reach out to the AMA, the American Medical Association, about six, eight months into production to do an interview. And the response was, no, thank you. Uh, this isn't a topic that, you know, we, we feel we, we should talk about or we need to comment on. And I said to them, really? Physicians taking their lives? Physicians having the highest rate of suicide among all professions, and you don't think it's something that you, as the American Medical Association representing physicians, should weigh in on, on a film, the first film that's looking at this? Silence. So we went on, and, um, and we eventually, when we were at the AACOM convention in D.C., um, to his credit, Dr. Daryl Kirch, who's the president of the AAMC, he agreed to an interview. And once we did the interview with Dr. Kirch, then all of a sudden the ACGME, Dr. Tom Naska, he agreed to an interview. And then eventually we did wind up interviewing the president of the AMA at the time, Stephen Stack. So we, we have everyone, you know, the people uh, that are important in this topic, we do have them weighing in uh, in the film to present their side of the story. Pamela, I have a, a couple of questions for you. This is Kevin. Um, is this 
epidemic is this seen is in internationally or is this a, a u.s problem a reflection of our healthcare system and maybe our medical training and the other question i have is are you seeing this is the trend in trainees primarily um is it in attendings are there certain fields surgical versus non-surgical do you, do you guys have is your data bearing any of that out yeah, I definitely have parsed through the data and I presented it actually as a keynote at the Chicago Orthopedic Symposium last week where I went through by specialty. Anesthesiologists, by the way, are twice as likely to die by suicide than any other specialty. Then come surgeons. And I have this all sort of linked up on a blog post that's up on my blog now at idealmedicalcare.org if you want to listen to the keynote and all of that where I go through all the data. I will say it is a global epidemic. Most of my numbers, I think out of the 1,013 on my list at the time of my keynote, 888 were, um, I believe, medical, uh, the 888 were physicians, the remainder were maybe 140 something were medical students. I have to look at this again. And again, mostly 90% of these numbers are US based just because I'm US based so that I'm getting, I'm not by the way, looking for these suicides. These are all people calling me through my suicide hotline and through email, just wanting to tell me, hey, my neighbor so-and-so just hung himself yesterday. He was a cardiothoracic surgeon. I just want to make sure he's on your list. So these are all families, friends, and colleagues who have reached out to me to give me the backstory, the name, the method of suicide. They're all, you know, detail, um, you know, by age, specialty, name, location, uh, extenuating circumstances. And so it's a very complete list of more than a thousand suicides. But I will say when you look internationally, I think if I were to be living in India, I would have a lot more cases in India because I think they get hit really hard because on top of all the problems we have with our health system, they have just immense poverty. And so when you have a physician having to declare 12 patients per shift dead, you know, that you can't really do that for too many days without having that impact you. So I have a follow up on that. Um, I, I think recently, and I can't remember which study this was, but there was a paper that came out that medical students and practicing physicians have a higher rate than um, resident physicians. And I was wondering in your data, have you seen trends like that or is it just all across the board? It's like all across the board, but I would say probably most of the physicians that have died by suicide on my list are practicing physicians beyond residency. Uh, there are a lot of residents on there. They're not the majority. Neither are the medical students, uh, which are about like 10 to 15 percent of the cases. Again, this is incomplete data and just tip of the iceberg, just the cases that are coming to me sort of organically through people contacting me. So I wouldn't say it's um, necessarily you know, it's not complete, but it gives a sense of how it's skewed towards specialty, towards gender. You know, for every woman we lose in medicine to suicide, whether medical student, resident or active, you know, practicing physician, we lose four men. So it's definitely still skewed towards men. Of course, I think our profession is still skewed more towards men, but but uh, men are, you know, dying at um, a much larger rate than women in medicine. And male anesthesiologists would be the combination of gender and specialty. They're at highest risk, by the way. But so many of these suicides are unreported. You know, because it's, it's left up to the families how they want to, you know, report or list or share. And so many, many are listed as accidental death or, you know, it's just, and because doctors, you know, 
are so familiar with medicine, they, they, you know, can make it look like uh, it was accidental. But the, the underreporting is a big problem because how can you study and fix a problem if you really don't have adequate numbers? And because of the stigma, it's underreported. And so it's a, it's a challenge. Hopefully, you know, with this film and uh, Pamela Weibel's research, you know, we'll have a better handle on it. But it's, it's, hard, it's very hard to track. What I discussed was talking a little bit about the culture. And part of the culture is, you know, when medicine is being strength and, you know, not admitting weakness and all the things you talked about. What was the most surprising thing? that each of you found kind of in your journey that maybe didn't suspect. I mean, I can understand how culture would lead to a lot of these different ones, but what jumped out at you? Well, for me as the filmmaker, you know, not being as entrenched in, in this topic as Tamil is as a physician or everyone else on the panel on the call is that feeling of being trapped. Um, I, I didn't realize, you know, I thought doctors, they are, uh, they have a lot of autonomy, they have a lot of power, and I never realized how little power they have and how they're treated by their profession. I mean, in many cases, they're treated like, you know, misbehaving kindergarten students. And I'm, even as, you know, senior physicians, there's a lot of fear of, of consequences and this, this idea of being set up to fail for younger doctors was really shocking for me. Um, to see young doctors like Hawkins in our film, you know, you go through four years of uh, undergraduate and four years of medical school or residency training and then you're forced to work these long shifts and you're taking care of patients. So you're set up to fail because if you make a mistake because you're so delirious, you know, it's like you're, you're almost drunk and you're caring for a patient and then you make a mistake, it could ruin your career and you've only just begun. So that fear, so instead of instilling confidence in these young physicians, you know, you're amazing, you're, you're you know, you were the top of your class, you're competent. You're resilient. You you're the pride of our society. Instead of making them feel that way, this is a culture that puts doctors down and makes them feel um, it, it rocks their confidence. So as patients, we don't want doctors that don't feel confident. But something in this culture. Uh, makes them feel that way. Starting from medical school, where there's so much bullying and uh, pimping going on, and pimping, you know, means put in my place. You know, those, some people think pimping is a good thing because you'll know, never forget the, you know, lesson you learned when you've been embarrassed in front of your peers in a group. Uh, I understand that, you know, pressure is good and making people struggle to know the answer. But when you embarrass people and make them feel inadequate, especially in front of their peers, and especially people who have had gold, won gold stars their entire life, 
since kindergarten, and you put them in that kind of a situation, I mean, who is that good for? Certainly not us as patients, certainly not good for them, and certainly not good for the institutions that they're going to represent. So all of that was shocking to me. And to me, what was most shocking early on is this notion that these happy doctors, kind of like the happiest, most successful, top-rated doctors in town, these are the guys that are dying. You know, many doctors who kill themselves appear to be the most optimistic, upbeat, and confident people on the outside to patients, to staff, to their colleagues. I mean, literally just back from Disneyland, just bought tickets for a family cruise. You know, the same day they die. Just gave a thumbs up to this team, a surgical team after a surgery, and later they go shoot themselves in the head in the back of their office. You know, this is what's really shocking, I think, because doctors are really masters of disguise and compartmentalization. And most recently, what I shared at the orthopedic symposium that shocked me the most recently has been the great work ethic that doctors have till their very last breath. They are literally going into the hospital, tucking their patients in, checking critical lab values, calling people back. I mean, hours to minutes before their suicide, because they're making sure all their work is done to the point where this really drove it home to me, a text message I got from the daughter of a surgeon that died by suicide, an orthopedic surgeon named Wayne Gunkel. She's willing to share this publicly. It's actually in my PowerPoint that I delivered at, in Chicago. And she said, basically, her dad was dictating alone on a Sunday morning, trying to finish his notes, and he had bought a rope that morning on his way into the office because he had planned to hang himself after he finished his notes. She wrote, he must have, you know, planned to finish dictating, but didn't get through it and stopped abruptly and went into the storage closet at his office and hung himself. And the, basically the note said, I'm sorry, I couldn't fix everyone. Wow. I mean, I just want to, this is Robin. I, I just want to say that there's this theory, like, you know, we need to weed out the weak ones. But that's ridiculous because it's usually the most competent, the most compassionate physicians that struggle with this disillusionment that doctors are facing. You know, more pressure, less autonomy. The internal and external pressures that they face, it's competent, compassionate doctors that we're losing either by retiring early or by suicide. So, you know, what's happening with the mentors for all these young doctors if doctors are choosing to leave early? That's a whole new problem that we're going to face. So it's a tragedy. Yeah, definitely agree with that. And thank you very much for kind of shedding light on these lessons that you've learned and what's been surprising. Um, so in our podcast, we always do a tips and tricks segment. And as this is kind of a unique um, podcast that we're doing, um, I think it's a great segment to talk about how medical schools and hospitals can screen the film. If you can tell us when um, the kind of your release schedule is as far as the pre-screenings in New York and just let our audience know how they can view the film and how they can also utilize it along with the press kit. The film will have a pre-release screening in honor of Suicide Awareness Month. And in fact, the week of September 9th is Suicide Prevention Week and September 17th is Suicide Prevention Day. 
So uh, you know, the film is going to be released at film festivals, but we didn't want to let Suicide Awareness Month go by without showing the film in honor of this important recognition of suicide and uh, uh, as a social stigma. And we decided to have a screening at the Angelica Film Center, September 12th and 13th. Uh, and we'll also have a panel discussion following each night. Uh, Dr. Michael Myers, who's a renowned author, leader in, from SUNY Downstate and, and has dealt a lot with physician suicide, he'll be on the panel. Uh, Pamela Weibel will be on the panel. The president of the Medical Society of New York will be there and um, others as well. So should be two very powerful evenings. And I'll be there, of course. I'm looking forward to it. You can go to donoharmfilm.com, email us, or on the homepage, there's a link to get tickets for the pre-release screening in New York at the Angelica Film Center, September 12th and 13th. Um, we have an international film tour that launches in September as well of medical schools, hospitals, and medical conferences. So if you're interested in having your school or hospital screen the film, for the New York screening, there are uh, some schools that have been supportive. For example, SUNY Downstate um, has bought a hundred tickets for their students and residents, but SUNY Downstate uh, is a leader, and so is Northwell. Northwell on September 5th will screen this film to nine or ten of its hospitals in New York. So we're really excited about that too. So there are some leaders, and we encourage more. And I would just say this is a topic that I do think you want to be an early adopter on. I don't want people to, to be on the wrong side of the conversation on physician suicide prevention. This is a really great time for hospitals and medical schools to really show themselves as leaders and being the first and taking on a topic that's literally been, you know, since 1858, we've known that there's been a high suicide rate among doctors 160 years later it would be great for you know to see that some institutions are really taking this on with the seriousness that it deserves uh i would first discuss it at the hospital or your school first uh, because what we're finding is you know that one person will, will call and want it but they really need to get some consensus uh from the dean or from the medical director at the hospital. So discuss it internally and then reach out to us about scheduling a screening. And then uh, someone from our team will get back to them uh, and let you know what's available. I try to go uh, to as many screenings as I can to participate in the panel discussions uh, because those are the most powerful when we can open and dialogue after the film, because the film talks about the problems and it talks about a couple of solutions, but every institution is unique at where they are with their wellness and how they address it. So the film is a perfect segue to open a dialogue for the first time with students, faculty, administrators, and talk about what's happening 
what's working and what needs to be improved. Because a lot of these wellness programs that you hear about are these top-down ideas, and they're very underfunded. So by having a film and gathering everyone in the room, it's an opportunity to talk about what's really working and what's not. Like, for example, we went to um, Des Moines University, and uh, the president of the medical school said, this is really great. We just separated the uh, mental health clinic from the other health clinic, so they're not in the same building. And I said, oh, that's really great. And then we went to talk to the students, and, and they said, yeah, you know where that mental health clinic is? It's in the administration building on the fourth floor. And the administrators are on the third floor. Do you think anyone's going to walk into that, go into that elevator and push four? So, you know, you can have well-intentioned programs, but are they really serving the purpose? So the film screenings and the panel discussions afterwards with Q&A really allows an opportunity to talk this out. Because no one individually is going to walk into the president's office and say, hey, this is a terrible idea. There's power in numbers. And speaking a little bit more about the value of these panel discussions afterwards is the film is really a conversation starter and it really helps people feel safe among their peers to start sharing their deep struggles. And I was really impressed when we did present the film at the American Medical Student Association Conference in Washington, D.C. I mean, there were lines and lines of students, you know, from the front to the back of the room standing at the microphone, crying, talking everything, talking publicly about how they had a suicide date, how they decided not to, or how they, you know, pulled themselves out of, you know, panic attacks, anxiety, all sorts of issues during medical school. People were hugging. I mean, it was really very amazing, the reception and the ability for people to become vulnerable with each other after viewing the film. There was so much support in the room. Remember, Pamela, that you know, people were hugging each other. And I mean, really doctors function like islands. It's every man to himself or herself. And, you know, even in the film, someone says, it was a psychiatrist who said he was disturbed at, you know, when he was just trying to survive, how none of his peers wanted to have anything to do with him. It was like guilt by association. But in that room, you could really see the humanity I mean, doctors want to heal people. Imagine if you can't, if you're afraid to reach out to your fellow physician because you're afraid of the repercussions of that. It's counter to everything you feel inside. So this film allowed this group together to support each other and hug each other and um, because everyone could relate to what they're seeing in the film. So that was, it was quite, quite a, an event. And we're seeing that as we start to do these screenings all over. We're, we're, we've done some in August and uh, the official launches in September. So it's been remarkable, remarkable to see what's going on. And if Thank anyone you. needs to talk, FYI, I know I mentioned the suicide hotline. I literally am available 24-7 if you want to email me. I, I call people back at 1, 2 in the morning. If, if you're struggling out there, please reach out for help. Don't 
sit alone and think about methods to die. I mean, there are people who want to help you. There are people who love you. I mean, I don't really even know you and I'm here for you. I, I just literally am on this path to try to save my brothers and sisters in medicine. And I think we can all do so much to help one another and just look out for each other, please. Dr. Uh, Pamela Weibel, Ms. Robin, Simon, this is an amazing um, initiative that you guys have taken, a very tough topic indeed, and something that definitely needs more and more attention. Uh, we wish you good luck for the screening and the release, and we hope uh, that you guys got, get a lot of success because this topic definitely deserves all the attention it can get. Thank you for again for joining us today on this very important subject. We definitely appreciate your time and your effort. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it. We will absolutely use our platform to get this word out. And I think uh, with all of our trainees uh, that listen, I think you guys will uh, notice a surge in uh, surge in support of this effort. Look out in our show notes for links to Dr. Weibel's blog, as well as donoharmfilm.com, where you can get tickets and you can request uh, film screenings at your institution. Until next time, dominate the day. 